0: Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It's my weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. My name is Raik van Niekerk and my guest today is Feroz Baza. He is head of Global Emerging Markets at Sunlam Investments and uh, he manages the Sunlam Global Emerging Markets Fund and its feeder fund. Feroz, of course, uh, joined Sunlam Investments around uh, 18 months ago. And uh, has taken over the Sunlam fund from Denka Capital at the time. So he's been managing it for around uh, one and a half years. Feroz, thank you so much for joining me. Emerging markets is an interesting and possibly exciting place at the moment in the context of world markets. There's so much liquidity around, especially in developed markets. And this liquidity is in search of higher yields. What is your perspective on emerging markets in the world we are currently experiencing, especially the markets world?
1: Yes, Rick, I think that's a very good point. There's lots of liquidity around currently looking for yield. If I think about negative yielding assets around, they currently at $16 trillion. If you look at rates in developed world and even in emerging markets, Lower risk rates are probably trading at their record lows. So there's a clear search for yield. And this makes me very excited about emerging market equities, given where we've been and where they're currently
0: trading. So you're bullish on equities. In some emerging markets, there are also very attractive bond rates. Is money flowing to bonds?
1: If I think about emerging market bonds, you can see South African bonds are trading at very attractive yields. Similarly, in other emerging markets, we're seeing a similar trend, but those yields come with risk. I think if you look at the, the fiscal side uh, um, from all of these emerging markets, there is risk attached, and they, that's exactly why yields are are trading at, at very attractive levels relative to developed markets. I think the more interesting concept for me there's only so much investors allocate to bonds and with all these negative yielding rates around the world and lower relative rates the next port of call is obviously equities and if you look at equity markets globally the valuations of emerging markets relative to developed markets are at extremely attractive levels.
0: Let's talk about equities again where is the money going to what what are the trends in the fund flows?
1: I think if you look at it, if you just take a step back, we've seen a very quick response to COVID globally. So monetary authorities have been quicker to react to the pandemic relative to, let's say, the the global financial crisis, where they still had to work out what they're going to do, and they implemented quantitative easing, where they flooded the market with money by doing asset purchases. At that point in time, I think global quantitative easing was stood at $3 trillion. Currently, what we've seen now is that global asset purchases are already at $6 trillion. So it's double what we've seen in the GFC, but it's, it's also at a quicker rate. And a lot of that money has gone – it, it's fed globally into equity markets. So we've seen the U.S. market re-rate significantly post-COVID. And even pre-COVID, the market was trading at elevated levels. What we have noticed is that emerging market flows were not as positive as developed market flows. So for a long time, emerging markets, up until a month ago, flows were negative. So money was actually leaving emerging markets. And you can see the, the valuation relative of emerging markets versus developed markets. Now, what we have seen is that in the last few weeks, We've started to see those positive flows back into emerging markets as investors recognize global assets, particularly the U.S., are trading on very high multiples and emerging markets looking a bit more attractive and recovering faster from the COVID pandemic.
0: Does that apply to all major emerging markets or is the money actually flowing only to Southeast Asia and especially China?
1: That's a very good point, Greg. I think we've seen record flows into Southeast Asia, but we are starting to see flows turn in particular markets like Brazil, even South Africa. The last two weeks, we've seen net inflows into our markets. So even commodity markets, we're starting to see that turnaround in flows in those markets as well. Like South Africa, I mean, we're dealing with the pandemic much better. Our recovery rate is, is much higher than the global rate. Even with, with Brazil, we're starting to see those numbers level off. Similar thing we're seeing in India as well. How does this impact valuations? If you look at it from a, a valuation perspective, we like to use the cyclically adjusted price earnings ratio of developed markets versus emerging markets, in simple terms it it tries to to take out the volatility in that, and so it looks at the normal long term cyclically adjusted b and if you look at the price earnings ratio of developed markets versus emerging markets, the developed markets, particularly the u s is trading on record level. so I think if you look at the current cyclically adjusted price earnings ratio of of the u s is currently at thirty times. Versus global emerging markets, it's currently on 9.7 times. Even if you look at the standalone price to earnings ratio, the U.S. is trading on 21 times and emerging markets on 13 times. So when you look at the valuation, global emerging markets are extremely attractive relative to developed markets and per se the U.S., the U.S. making roughly 60 percent of, of the global index in any event.
0: Yeah, that that is significant. Uh, So let's uh, see what you have been doing recently within your Sunlam Global Emerging Markets Fund. Have you been trading actively? Are there a shift in strategy, maybe due to this excessive liquidity?
1: We haven't been trading excessively. There's been some very good opportunities in the fund and we've taken advantage of those opportunities, particularly in technology space. We've taken advantage of those opportunities early on in the COVID pandemic and those opportunities have paid off handsomely. But the the opportunity set in emerging markets is is far and wide. And, And the nice thing about emerging markets is that A bank in China, for example, versus a bank in India is totally different. So, you know, you have a wide opportunity set, and that gives you so much room to invest in the best high-quality businesses across the globe that are actually growing faster than the rest of the world.
0: It is interesting to see that the fund's exposure is dominated by the U.S. Around 40% of the fund is in U.S. assets. Can you explain that?
1: The one thing we do, the, those are not U.S. assets. What we tend to do is that we tend to buy ADR. So a company operating in China uh, but is, is listed on the ADR, it just simplifies to buy in the U.S. market. So, for example, Alibaba. Alibaba is a Chinese internet company and we buy that on the U.S. exchange. So it's a Chinese company, but it's it's just listed in the U.S. Similarly with NetEase, a company like Noah Financial Systems, all listed in the U.S. So we purchase those ADRs. Remember, like, we also maximize on the opportunity set we have, Our clients invest in U.S. dollars and we then, instead of taking that U.S. dollars, converting it to Hong Kong dollars, buying on the Hong Kong exchange, we buy the ADRs, which are exactly the same Mm -hmm. shares as the Hong Kong shares we buy directly in the
0: US. Let's look at the top 10 holdings of the fund right at the top, Alibaba, which you've just referred to, nearly 5% of the portfolio. And second is uh, Samsung, 4.4%. Interesting choices, especially if you look at the US market where these companies' competitors have run extremely hard. Amazon, And uh, Apple, for example, can you maybe discuss the dynamics between saying investing in Alibaba and not in Amazon as well as Samsung and not in Apple? I
1: think those are two very good examples. Alibaba, very similar to to Amazon in terms of the business mix. Companies' returns are also very similar. Alibaba trades on a forward price earnings multiple of 28 times. So when you look at it in context of the growth, I mean, for the next three years, if you look at Bloomberg consensus, what analysts are expecting, it's around 30% growth per annum for the next three years. So that's a robust growth. And also with Alibaba, you've got the upcoming IPO of N Financials, which probably is going to be the biggest IPO globally, right? So trading on 28 times. Amazon on the other, also a bellwether in the U.S., very good company also growing earnings at 30 to 35 percent so slightly higher than than alibaba but trades on a 58 times multiple so you know alibaba almost trading on half the multiple of amazon so that gives you an idea of those companies and when i think about the market potential for alibaba and amazon they both very similar so that just gives you an idea of the valuation samsung and apple is a very interesting one i mean for a long time, Apple traded on average between 14 to 15 times. It was seen as a hardware company with some software and services. Today, Apple trades on a forward price earnings multiple of 31 times. Now, that you're paying 31 times forward earnings for Apple today. And and the earnings of Apple are not at a low level. I would say that a normalized level or slightly above normal. Whereas Quick Samsung... Although Samsung does have memory, makes less on smartphones, but let's compare it as both companies have significant net cash on their position and those are the opportunity sets. Samsung trades on 12 times earnings. So those are two very good examples, two big bellwethers in GEM versus two big bellwethers in the US and you can see the differential in in valuation.
0: Number three on your list, British American Tobacco, 3.6%. That's probably a defensive stock. Then TCS Group Holdings. I haven't heard of TCS. What do they do?
1: TCS, that's that's a very good one. I think if you look at it, it's it's a Russian fintech company. So it's similar to if I had to use a South African example, Capitech. So it's just a branchless version of Capitech. Now, having said that, TCS Return on equity is probably double that of Capitec, but fast growing market, a huge market opportunity, very similar uh, companies. TCS trades on a nine times forward multiple. There is a a potential coming for this company, but same TCS trading on nine times versus Capitec trading on, on 24 times. So I think that also just highlights the opportunity set in the emerging markets south Africa. Now, South Africa also looks cheaper on, on an overall basis, but the high-quality companies are, are are trading on very high multiples, and Capitec's very good example versus TCS.
0: A noticeable company that is absent is Tencent. Why?
1: Right, that's a good observation. If you look at, at Tencent, if you look at the combined exposure to ten cent is probably the second biggest share in our portfolio. If you take the combination of ten cent NASPERS and process, naspace is trading at a fifty five percent discount on an Nv basis relative to its value in ten cents. so you know we take some of our exposure in Tencent via NASPERS and then also process 36% discount. So we do have a very high holding to Tencent in our portfolio, but it's just split between NASPERS, process and Tencent.
0: So there's a significant bias toward technology and uh, fintech stocks. Are there other noticeable companies in your portfolio which is not in one of those categories?
1: Yes, we have very good. Expo- I mean, we do have a big exposure to, to e-commerce and Chinese entertainment. I mean, it's also the big in the index. So, and those are the companies that have done a very well of late. Lower down there, we also have significant exposure to to other areas. 31% of our portfolio is linked to consumer staples, pharma companies, across emerging markets, and food retailers. So there's significant exposure to to those spheres as well. And also, I mean, if you look at some of the exposure in those emerging markets compared to the developed markets, the multiples are are on much lower rates than than developed markets.
0: Then let's look look at the performance of the fund. Uh, you took over around 18 months ago. So let's look at the one-year performance. The dollar-denominated fund up 11.3%, the benchmark 14.5%. But the local feeder fund has gained 25.3% against the benchmark of 14.5%. Is it only the, the RAND exchange rate which weakened, which uh, resulted in this uh, significant difference in, in performance?
1: I think we took over 15 months ago, right I sent you the latest Morningstar numbers. And if you look at our, our global fund, where the bulk of our assets sit, that fund outperformed the index by just on 1% net of fees. So the Sunlam Global Emerging Market Fund returned 20.3% versus the index of around 197 So thanks for Globally, but so that's just the RAND returns that we've delivered for our clients since we've taken over the fund. The difference between the feeder fund is that you know the pricing is in RANDs and the cash position, and those are totally different. But I think looking at the the 15 month numbers is is more, is very similar for both funds.
0: Yeah, I am looking at the latest fund fact sheets that were published on uh, the Sundam Investment website, but I think many investors would be really happy with this performance. Let's get back to the liquidity, which seems to uh, support valuations uh, quite significantly. Do you think that is a risk in the s- short term that conditions may change, maybe higher interest rates in in, in some markets? Uh, do you think there's a, a bit of an overhang or a risk, a future risk that should be priced in? Look, that's a very good question. Like, I mean, we try and focus more on the
1: bottom up. So stock-specific, focus on the bottom-up, because the top-down, uh, trying to analyze macro, what's going to happen with COVID, is there going to be a second wave? Those things are all, I don't think I can add value. If you look at central bank purchases, around $6 trillion, and you spoke about rising interest rates and those things, if economies don't recover, how are countries going to be able to raise interest rates. I can't see it happening. We haven't seen it in the last 10 years with the Fed when as the economy does better, you know, they started increasing interest rates, but they only started doing it when there was a sustainable level of economic activity within the market. So, I don't see that as a big risk. Having said that, how does the globe get out of all this debt? The only way they can is inflation. So those are things potentially coming down the line, but that would mean that economies do recover. The other thing that's important globally is around the U.S. dollar. That's another tailwind for emerging markets. If you look at the U.S. dollar versus emerging market currencies on a PPP adjusted basis, or if you look at them versus their share of global exports, emerging markets are very cheap relative to developed markets and relative to the US. So that could be another tailwind for emerging markets going forward.
0: Does that mean that you think the dollar may weaken in future?
1: If I think about the U.S. dollar, right, so they've got the record central bank purchases. So if you think about quantitative easing, this is probably at at a record level. If I just think about where currencies trading relative to purchasing power parity and versus share of global exports, it tells me that emerging markets currencies are undervalued. Now, I'm not sure. I don't know. I can't forecast currencies whether in the next year or two they're going to weaken or strengthen. But I do know from a valuation perspective and from economic perspective, you know, the U.S. dollar is trading at, at very high levels.
0: Feroz, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your insights and good luck with managing an emerging market fund with all this noise around. That was Feroz Baza. He is the head of global emerging markets at Sunlam Investments.